that was really when I realized that I had been all of my life trying to meet certain expectations that I had set for myself and doing everything the right way and in the right order. That loss kind of stopped me in my tracks and made me, showed me that I had been outrunning my own mental health challenges. You're listening to Second Breaks, a show where we explore how we can feel better, do better, and just generally be better in our middle years. If it's your first time here and you don't know anything about me, my name is Lou Blazer. I am the publisher of Midlife Cues, a weekly newsletter about intentional living and personal growth in midlife. We've been talking here on the podcast about midlife being a call to action for change. Some of the changes that we're talking about are deliberate, things that we initiate on our own, some are not, and then sometimes we get hit by really big ones, what I call monster curveballs, the ones that can really shake the foundation and reshape our lives. I'm going to put a link on the show notes for the episode where I talked about navigating curveballs, three ways that we can unintentionally make it harder on ourselves, and then three ways that we can actually make it easier for ourselves to handle curveballs when they come. So here's one thing about curveballs that I noticed. Sometimes when we get served a curveball, we don't recognize it as a curveball right away. We ignore it or we fight it or we deny that we need to adjust or that we need to make changes, basically. I remember some years ago, I met this woman. She had been working in the medical industry for a while, primarily helping doctors, dentists with their billing. Um, she was a veteran in the industry. She knew the ins and outs uh, knew where the landmines were buried when it comes to dealing with insurance. She had it all figured out. Like she had a, she had a system to, you know, like the, the best way to get around bureaucracy, basically. Now, when I met her, she had, she was beginning to see some issues. Her clients, she noticed they were beginning to, transition to automated services and she could sense that the demand for her work for the kind of services that she provided the um the demand was drying up and she was looking for help she was thinking of you know better positioning basically how she can compete better how she can improve her services that kind of stuff but i tried very hard to get her to see or to recognize was that the overall landscape of the industry, of her industry, was changing. Like there's, there was a fundamental shift in the drumbeat and she needed to hear it. Unfortunately, she just could not accept it. She said to me at the time that she had to believe that there were still people out there who would prefer to work with a veteran like her. She was being served a curveball, courtesy of the rapidly progressing technology, and she just wasn't taking it. And that was 
long before everyone was talking about AI. I mean, I could only imagine what she's saying now or how she's doing now with all the talk about chat GPT and GPT-4. And, you know, the reality is the march of these kinds of technology is unrelenting. It's just going to continue. And so uh, her work and a lot of similar work is just going to be massively disrupted. And we needed to hear that. We needed to recognize that so that we can better prepare and position ourselves. The reality is that curveballs come in all shapes and sizes and from different directions as well. My guest today, Stephanie Detlefs, her curveball ultimately affected her career and the identity that came from doing that work. But the uh, server of that curveball, the source, it came from her personal family. Not only that, but the career transition that she ended up doing didn't really happen until years after the initial curveball. So like I was saying before, sometimes we don't immediately recognize the curveball for what it is or that, you know, we need to make changes. We need to make adjustments, basically. In this conversation with Stephanie, she talked about what had happened, like, She walked us through sort of like the initial breaking point, essentially, what she did to sort of get around that. And then years later, when it finally was just really big enough or significant significant enough that she just couldn't ignore it anymore, she could not not change, and she finally made the leap. So that's kind of what we're going to talk about in this episode. This is the first story in a curveball series that we're going to have this year, this season of the podcast. So a little bit of introduction. Uh, Stephanie Detlefs is a writer, a certified book coach, a teacher, and a lifelong avid reader. She has spent decades working with writers of all ages in the classroom as a teacher. And now as a book coach, she holds space for others so that they can find their own voice. Stephanie is the author of the middle grade novel Unspoken and the host of the Let's Write Your Novel podcast. She lives in the Pacific Northwest region in Washington with her family, two cats, and a spunky pup. All right, let me transition to my conversation with Stephanie, and I'll catch up with you at the back end. We had an exchange of emails a few weeks ago, and one of the things that struck me in your email was that you mentioned something like a breaking point that happened that uh, urged you or pushed you to make some changes in your life. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what happened? Can, you talk, can we start there? Yeah, let's start there. So I uh, was an elementary school teacher um, for over a decade on and off, which I'll explain in a second. But uh, six years ago, I left the classroom for good. And that year was really, a, that last year was funny because I had had several years of teaching not not all in a row, but uh, several of my years were really difficult for a variety of reasons. That last year was amazing. It was so good. I had a lot of things working kind of in my favor. And yet I 
was so unhappy. And also at the same time, my daughter was leaving elementary school, actually the school where I taught (laughs) both of my Mm. kids went and she was leaving elementary school for middle school. And um, she has some social emotional needs that we weren't sure how it was going to go in middle school. And the combination of my own mental health and my need to be present for her as a parent in a way that I couldn't be when she wasn't in the same building as me just became, it was too much. Something had to give. It was like these three branches, the career that I loved and my own mental health and parenting. And I could not keep doing all three of them (laughs) as well as I wanted to. So I guess that that was the breaking point. It wasn't that something major happened in my life. It was just a culmination of a lot of events leading up to that point where I said, Mm -hmm. this, I have to stop now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You mentioned that you were actually leaving a career that you love Right. So teaching. So you've always been the teacher. You've been a teacher for a while at that point. Yeah, I was 19 in college when I decided I wanted to be a teacher. It was like one of those situations where the clouds parted and the sun shone down. It was like, oh, you're going to be a teacher. And I was like, yes, this is the this is what I want. I love working with kids. I love learning. And so I thought, of course, that's a perfect fit job for me. So I was very single minded about where I was going to end up. Most of my early 20s, I was I'm going to be a teacher. And I was very idealistic about how Mm -hmm. it was going to be. I was very um, sure I was going to change the world by (laughs) by being a teacher and that I was going to have maximum impact at all times and that it was going to be beautiful and inspiring and, you know, all of the things. And um, anybody who has worked in public schools will tell you, or or any educational institution will tell you that it is not what it seems to be on the outside. It's, it's a very complicated profession and it's mm. messy and it's overwhelming. And I loved my students and I loved most of the curriculum and I loved my students' families, and I loved building community in the classroom, but there's so much more to the job than that. And it becomes all consuming. And if you're somebody like me, who's a perfectionist, I'm a recovering perfectionist now, you know, I could have worked 24 seven and not gotten all of the things that I wanted to do done. And so I kind of in a way felt like I was failing all the time. And It was okay when it was just me, but um, once my husband and I decided to start a family, that shifted my priorities a little bit, and our our first couple of attempts at at having a child didn't work. We had an early miscarriage, and then our second pregnancy was a stillborn, and so that was, you know, it's funny because we were talking before we recorded that about uh, breaking points sometimes aren't when the change happens, like the the breaking point happens, but then you keep fighting it for a long time. And I, I think that that's exactly what happened to me. I, I, we had this stillborn and I was so devastated. I mean, it was, it was 
grief that I haven't ever experienced before. And I couldn't do what I had always been doing for my students. Mm. And mm-hmm. so, and that was really when I realized that I had been all of my life trying to meet certain expectations that I had set for myself and doing everything the right way and in the right order. That loss kind of stopped me in my tracks and made me, showed me that I had been outrunning my own mental health challenges. So I had always had anxiety. I had always had kind of a functional low depression. And um, I, at that point, I realized I had to take care of myself. So I actually Mm -hmm. resigned that teaching position that year and took a little bit of time off because I needed to recover um, with the intention, though, of always going back, which I did. So then, though, once we had successfully started a family, um, you know, my attention was obviously, as many working mothers in particular experience, that pull of priorities, where do I spend my time in the constant guilt? And so, yeah, it was, but it was a lot of years where I fought, I fought the need, I fought the desire that I had to do something different and to be able to breathe and just assumed, well, this is what the career I chose. This is the parenting is a path that I chose. So therefore I need to keep just doing the best I can. Like trying to fit both in, right? Like there has to be, was there, uh, maybe I'm projecting, but like, was there ever like this thought that like, I can make this work. I just have to Mm -hmm. find the proper approach to this thing, the right way of dividing my energy or the right way of dividing my attention, but I can make this work. Was that ever going on back in your mind? Oh my gosh. That is how, um, how I have functioned for so long. In fact, it's it's only really been in the last couple of years as I've been working hard to build a new business on my own that I've had to realize that that's my tendency is to say, okay, there is a way to make this work. I can <laughs> yeah. make this work. It's if I schedule everything down to the minute, I can figure it out. And you know, of course, there's no right way to do anything. And yet in my head, I kept thinking, this is, there is a right way to do it. And I just have to figure it out. And from the outside, it looks like all these other people that I know (laughs) have got it figured out. And why don't I have it figured out? And yes, that yes, that is definitely true for me. So by the time that you finally said, okay, Stephanie, something's got to give, were you ready? Like, what was your state of mind? What was your emotional state at that point? Were you, or were you just like, I give up? I'm like, okay, fine. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because there were definitely some emotions. I mean, I, just the fatigue that I felt alone, I... I just had gotten to a point where like, I can't, I don't want to keep feeling like this. You know, Mm -hmm. I was in my early forties by then. And I was like, I can't, this isn't how I want to live my life, you know? 
And there is, of course, there's fear when you think about change. But I am someone who has never really been afraid of change so much. And so I didn't have a lot of personal concern about how it was going to be for me. But I did have a lot of concern about how it was going to be for my family, um, how it was going to be financially. And so I had some guilt around that. But once I made the decision to leave the classroom and that I knew I just, and I, and I had talked with my husband and we, he was on board and we had a plan. It was pretty easy from that point. It was hard to tell people and oh, <laughs> we can talk yes. about that, but yeah. um, it was, it was, um, it was pretty easy to make that decision. And from the moment I finally said, yes, this is what I'm going to do. It, I didn't look back. It, I didn't have, I didn't have any difficulty with that. Yeah. Um, can we talk a little bit about that? Hard to tell people too, because sometimes, well, I wanted to find out what your experience was, especially because there's a, there's one thing when, you are leaving one career because I'm going to start a business or, you know, there was this other opportunity that I just couldn't, you know, mm-hmm. uh, say no to or whatever it was. Or even if you were let go, right? Or you were downsized. I mean, it's like, that's the fact. But when there is a personal element to why you're leaving, um, there's vulnerability there. There's like, do I tell them the whole thing? What story do I do I tell them? So what was your experience like in terms of telling people um, about, uh, you know, why you're leaving or that you're leaving? I, um, well, I'll put people into two different camps. So there were my coworkers, mm-hmm. my fellow yes. educators, and then there were the people in my personal life. The people Mm -hmm. in my personal life weren't really uh, surprised because they knew how unhappy I'd been. And I'm Mm -hmm. generally pretty open about things that are going on with me, with the people that are close to me. So, uh, you know, there might have been some questions like, well, what are you going to do next? But because they know me so well, they were generally supportive and it wasn't really that difficult. What was a lot harder was telling my colleagues because... I've heard you talk a lot about how different jobs can become your identity and like, this is who I am and who am I if I don't do this job? And I felt some kind of this sense of guilt around saying, I don't want to do this anymore when it was something that other people, I knew how entrenched they were in it and how much education is part of their identity. And I didn't Mm -hmm. want it to come across like, this is not a job anybody should do. I wanted it to be really clear. It was just, uh, it's not for me anymore. And to be perfectly honest, I I didn't go into the whole story with everybody. I did Mm -hmm. with a couple, you know, a handful of Mm -hmm. people that I was close to. Most people I told them they knew that I had been writing a book. Um, I wrote a middle grade novel and they knew I had been working on it. And so I basically said, I just want to, I want to write my book. (laughs) And everyone was like, oh, that's so cool. You know? So if I did that, people were pretty, pretty um, excited for me. Other people though were, I, I got a lot of strange looks like, 
well, what else are you going to do? And that's because I think that a lot of us, myself included, really, which is why I fought the change for so long, we don't know what skills we have that can transfer to anything else. Like, what are you going to do if you're not a teacher? And I asked myself that same question, and it took a long time to answer. Um, and I, I feel like I'm still answering it to some degree. I'm still figuring it out. And so I think there was some confusion, and I just had to be okay with letting people not understand, I think, was what it really boiled down to. I I needed to not take on their feelings about it and just be okay with my my own decision I'm laughing here because for a couple of reasons. One, and I just want to put a pin to all these things. One is that it's so funny because we never know the skills that we have, right? And if you said to me, a teacher is leaving her profession and doing something else, I'm going, oh my God, they have so much. They have so many skills. I can just see them doing all kinds of different things. Meanwhile, the teacher, you are saying, what skills do I have that are transferable? You know, I think a lot of us are like that. Like whatever we're doing, we can't see it outside of that uh, construct that we're doing it with, whereas others who are seeing us are saying, all your skills are transferable. So, oh, so that's one, uh, which is a good thing to remind everybody who's listening that if you are thinking of making a change, you know, Sometimes you don't think that what you're doing is not transferable. And sometimes this is when you talk to somebody outside of your sphere because somebody who's outside of your sphere can see what you can bring to the table. Don't talk to other people who are in your sphere because they're in the same boat as you are. And then the other thing that you said uh, that I was also laughing about, literally laughing about because it was the same uh crutch, maybe, if I could use that word that I used. I had for a New York minute, and I still do, if you ask me, really, really, I still have this little, little, little thing in my heart that says, I want to write a novel. And, but for a while, it was a bigger part of my heart. But, <laughs> it, uh, but anyway, when I left corporate America, for a lot of people, who some of them might be listening right now. <laughs> I said, that's what I said. I said, I'm going to write a book. <laughs> I'm going to write my novel because I couldn't tell them the real reason. Um, because, you know, I just, it was too personal for me to go into it. And so that's what I said. So that's the, that's why I laughed. But I love that. I love that. <laughs> And then, and I did try, except that I ran into all kinds of, uh, I think it, I wasn't ready emotionally, but I did, I did spend some time, uh, fleshing out my idea because I had this idea for a while. So anyway, but that's for another conversation. But then the third thing that I loved about what you said I wanted to put a pin on was that you got to a point where you said, I'm okay with not everybody understanding and not everybody because, oh my Lord, I, that was one of my challenges, Stephanie, because I was, it was sort of, I was trying to validate it in my own head by getting validation from other people is that I'm doing the right thing. So I kept trying to, I kept wanting to explain and kept wanting to connect dots. And it took me a long time to get a long 
long time to get to the point where, you know, if you don't get it, it's okay, it's fine. <laughs> it's so hard because there is a big part of all of us that just wants to be seen and understood, no matter what the circumstances are. And when people don't understand the choices that we're making, even if they're not being judgmental, even if they're not being uh, critical, you know, but they're just not, they obviously don't get it. That feels like we're not, we're not being seen. And for some of us, for me in particular, and I think a lot of other people, that can be pretty painful. Like, I want you to really see me and understand. But the truth is not everybody's going to. And so we have to protect ourselves a little bit by saying, okay, it's fine that you don't understand. But this is what I'm doing. <laughs> it's the right choice for me. Yeah, it's kind of like, you've invested so much of your life to be a great teacher. And now mm -hmm. you're going to leave that profession. And, um, and so that's also like that sunk cost sort of way of thinking, right? This is how, this is where you've invested your energy and now you're going to leave it. And then again, I'm sure that if they heard the whole story, they would understand who knows, but to your point, it doesn't matter. You know, it's the right yeah. choice for you. So when, when you finally did that, um, did you just, did you really just do that? Not just, but did you really <laughs> devote your time to writing? Or did you say, you know, let me figure out what I'm going to do next? What did you actually do? Yeah, well, I knew, I knew that I couldn't just not work because of two reasons. One is that we needed the income. And the other is mm -hmm. that I am someone who needs to have something to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I don't mean to say that writing a novel is not work because it absolutely certainly is, but I knew for me that wasn't going to pay the bills. And so that I needed to do something in addition to that. So not, until, not unless you're 30 in a series, right? <laughs> right. I know. <laughs> Very few of us can actually make yeah. a living on writing novels, but it's, you know, I don't want to kill the dream. You you can, it's possible. Yeah. One thing I hadn't shared is that along the way over my teaching career, I had done some other things too. Like mm -hmm. one of the, and one of the things that I had done is I'd started a writing nonprofit in my community for kids and teens. So we had done workshops and um, a teen writing conference and connected volunteers to individual writers and classrooms and things like that. So I knew I had the ability to start something. And so I had some trust in myself that I would figure out what the next thing would be. And also, because I am a writer, obviously, my passion while I was teaching, even though I was teaching all of the subjects was teaching writing, and I also love teaching mm -hmm. reading. And so this is something that I, we talked about this a little bit, but I had to figure out what what do I love to do? What lights me up? And also, what skills am I bringing to the table? I kind of had the feeling that I didn't want to work for anybody else if I could get away with it. Um, I was sort of done with that. Mm -hmm. And so for the last six years, I've been building a business which has gone through several iterations. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I kind of started out just saying, hey, writers, of any age, of any <laughs> thing that you're writing, 
come talk to me, I will help you. And so I, I got some clients that way, but it was very unfocused. And I've gradually narrowed my focus to where now I'm working with writers who are writing novels. But but it really, I had to realize that I love teaching, I love working with people. And I love supporting people who have a story that they want to share, because I really, really believe that stories can change the world. And so I, that is my way of being of service is helping people get their stories out and Mm -hmm. into the world in whatever form that looks like. So you had some idea of what I might do next. And then you allowed yourself to sort of iterate on that. Basically, you were testing different things out, right? Yeah. So, so yeah. So to go back to the question, I, I did leave the classroom and work on my book while we got my daughter transitioned to middle school and got that kind of underway. And I did finish my book. And I also knew along the way that working with writers was what I was going to do. And I was just going to need to figure out what that was going to look like. And so that took a little bit of time. And fortunately, I was in a um, privileged position of having a partner with an income that could support us for the short mm. term. And so that was a decision that we made together. I know ev- not everybody has that privilege, but I was gifted with the space to figure out what was going to be next. I wanted to ask you, Stephanie, I mean, in addition to obviously, you've changed your career, you're no longer a teacher, you're not, although you teach in a different way, you know, but not the classroom teaching that you were previously known for. So obviously, that part of you has changed. Can you identify or do you have you identified any other ways that you have changed in the process outside of just the obvious career change? I think the biggest way that I've changed is that I have decided to put my own mental health in the forefront in my list of priorities. That is one thing. I know that I need to take care of myself, even though I want to be of service to other people, whether they're my family or my clients or anyone else. I know that I need to take care of myself well. And that is a big learning for me in midlife because I never prioritized myself when I was younger. Um, The other thing that I've really realized that I've started to learn is that I can trust myself that I'm going to figure it out. I don't have to know the answer right now. I don't have to get it right the first time. It doesn't mean that everything is going wrong if I make a mistake and I should just, you know, throw it all out the window and start over again, I can I can trust myself to know what's best for me and that I'll mm-hmm. figure it out. It's, I don't know what you think about this, Stephanie, but it's one thing when other people tell you that, right? Like, oh, Stephanie, you'll figure it out, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a part of your brain that goes, yeah, sure. But then when you actually go through it and you actually see and experience and witness yourself figuring it out, it's a different kind of lesson, right? Very much so. I think, yes, I mean, we we hear that all the time, right? Trust yourself. It's all part of the process. <laughs> and yet I think we have to, we have to, show ourselves that it's true. 
you mentioned a book that you've written before, and you've pub- published right a, a published novel, and then also that you are, uh, you know, coaching writers. Did I say that correctly? Can you talk a little bit about your work, Stephanie? I did write a middle grade novel, so for ages about eight to twelve, um, it came out early March of 2020. So it was really great timing. I say very sarcastically, it was terrible timing, but it is out there. It's called Unspoken, and I'm working on a second one. But yeah, the the work that I'm doing that I'm super excited about is that I help first time novelists mostly, although I'll work with any novelist. Um, who has a story on their heart, I I help them find the clarity and accountability so that they can finally write their novel. So I do one-on-one coaching. I do group, small group coaching. I'm working on building a bigger community for writers, and I'm planning to launch that later this year. It's just really important to me to realize or to help people who are realizing that especially those of us who are in midlife or even later, like time, we only have a limited amount of time here, right? Mm -hmm. And when we have a bucket list item, like writing a novel, that can weigh on us. Like, when am I ever going to do that? And I want to help writers see that even if their lives are really busy, I firmly believe that you can you can reach your writing goals with a schedule that fits your life. You don't have mm-hmm. to write every day. You don't have to have full days that you can commit to it. It can fit in the around the edges of a busy life. And so that's kind of my goal. That's what I what I am working on. And I I have I've been book coaching now for two years and I I absolutely love it. It is the most fun I've had. My clients are amazing. Their stories are amazing. We laugh, we cry, you know, <laughs> it's all, it's all beautiful. So, um, that awesome. yeah, that is what I'm doing now. So where is the best place uh, for people to find you? My website is hellowriters.net. If you go to hellowriters.net slash second breaks, I actually made a page for your listeners that has, all of my free stuff right there on it. So that makes it really easy. I also have a YouTube channel new this year, which is called How to Write a Novel. So you can find me there as well. That's awesome. Well, you're going to find me there for sure. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Just maybe I will find my way back to my novel dreams because I have there has been a story that's been in my mind for at least eight years that it's just been there in the back of my mind. And so uh, I wasn't, I think I wasn't mentally ready. There were so many things that were going on in my life that um, the setback or the, the challenges that I faced as any first time writer experiences, I couldn't surmount them because of other things that were going on in my life but I think I was you know now I'm a little bit in a not a little bit I'm in a lot better space uh, mindset wise and mental health wise so I think maybe I'll pick it up again yeah I love it I say yes do it it's waiting for you At 25, I was idealistic and very concerned with what others thought of me and about what I was doing with myself in the world. Today, I'm learning to 
be patient with myself, to trust myself, and I'm working to be really present with what's right in front of me instead of worrying about the future. I want to thank Stephanie Detlefs again for sharing her experiences and her personal story with us. You're going to find the link to her website as well as some highlights of this episode on the show notes at secondbreaks.com. As I said before, this is the first of a number of curveball stories that I want to produce this year, this season of the podcast. So all of these curveball stories that we're going to have this year, I'm going to tag them with that curveball uh, tag in the title of the episode so that it'll be easier for you to identify them on the feed as we get more and more of these stories because they're not going to be back to back. They're going to be interspersed with other uh, stories or other episodes that we're going to have. If you are going through a curveball situation yourself or a midlife transition, there are a couple of ways that I can help you. Number one, subscribe to the free newsletter, Midlife Cues. This is a weekly newsletter about personal growth in midlife. Every Sunday, I send out curated resources, tools, and prompts for designing your next chapter with intention and purpose. To subscribe, head on over to midlifecues.com. That's midlife, C-U-E-S, one word, dot com. And number two, I now offer private one-on-one consultations to help you brainstorm, plan, and execute your next chapter plans. So these are like one-time consultation calls, not long-term packages. We can just get on a 30-minute or a 90-minute call and have like a deep dive discussion on your particular topic, questions, or situation. So to find out whether this is exactly the help that you want and you need, uh, you can head on over to midlifecues.com forward slash consult and you're going to find all the information there as well as my areas of expertise where I can help you. Of course, I want to thank you, my dear listener friend, for hanging out with me today. I hope you found this conversation with Stephanie helpful and inspiring, motivating. And if you liked this episode, I would love it seriously if you shared it with a friend or two because, you know, word of mouth is still the best way to grow. Okie dokie, I will be back with a new episode in a couple weeks. Until then, keep on making your dent, my friend. Cool beans. Stephanie, thank you so much. I really appreciate you sharing your, there's a lot of personal stories that you share. So thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I loved this conversation.